Quick housekeeping here before the episode. I have about 40 to 50 t-shirts left from an event. So feel free to email me social at trulyfit.app and tell me your size. If I have it in, give me your address and location and I will send you a Truly Fit t-shirt for free. Welcome to Truly Fit. Welcome to the Truly Fit Podcast, where we interview experts in fitness and health to expand our wisdom and wealth. I'm your host, Steve Washuda, co-founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. On today's episode, it is just me. As a reminder, on Thursdays, it is me doing a quick podcast somewhere between 5 and 15 minutes talking about the latest trends, something that I talked on in the last podcast I want to expand on. Today, I'm going to be talking about a little bit of science, a little bit of business, and then responding to a listener email. On Mondays are the interview episodes where I have somebody who's an expert in fitness or health or business or wisdom or wealth come on and talk a little bit about how we could either be better with our overall business strategies in the health and medical and fitness space or how we as the general population and just people who uh, are either getting into fitness or who are have have dedicated their lives to health and fitness, how we can learn a little bit more to help our day-to-day routines and help our understanding of health and fitness and science so we can better help our clients. So first, I'm going to go into sort of a science-based conversation here or a fitness-based conversation. I had a trainer call me recently, and she asked me what I did to rehab my hip labrum when I had a small tear in it. And first, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this small caveat here. I am, uh, this is not my specialty. I'm talking about my experience working with clients and my personal experience. Uh, my tear in my hip um, labrum, my labral tear, was not in a weight-bearing spot. So if you, you know, if you look at the, the hip, if you look at the ball and socket, if you know, if it's on the top, uh, you, you'd likely, you're going to have to get surgery. Um, or that's, that's going to be the, certainly the first recommendation. I'm not telling anyone to go ahead and get surgery. You talk to your, your provider and your expert in that area, and they will tell you what to do. And you can make your own conclusions and decisions, do your own due diligence. But mine wasn't in a weight bearing area. And, and I will always elect to not go under the knife if, if I can. It took me about nine months until I felt normal. Uh, and I just rehab myself. And I had the time to do this. Uh, you know, I would block out an hour or two each day in my personal training schedule. I had the the knowledge to do this. And I, I took the risk. I was young enough to take this risk. I had an acute injury. Uh, I'm not going to go through it. I think I talked about it in this podcast before. But basically, I was on a Smith machine squatting, nothing heavy, maybe about 245. And uh, the Smith machine actually lifted up off the ground. I came up really quick concentrically and the Smith machine had too much weight on the back. It lifted up off the ground. That sent me knock kneed straight down towards the ground because I was off balance with all that weight falling on me. And I had some acute injuries. I had, you know, the, the hip labral tear. I had some inguinal uh, issues where I eventually got a uh, double inguinal hernia surgery in, in I, I don't know for sure, but in my, in my uh, humble uh, professional opinion, it was because of that, or at least that either exacerbated a, a current issue or or helped lead to an issue that happened down the road because of whatever damage I did during that exercise. Anyhow, I digress here. Having this hip labral tear made me really take time to think about the hip more and the importance of the hip and hip mobility. So I started really doing a lot of hip mobility exercises. And the most important thing was with that tear so that I didn't aggravate it was that I was doing these things non-weight-bearing. So I was doing a lot of hip movement where it was not weight-bearing at first, for the first month or two or three post my injury. So things like, you know, just literally lifting your knee up into the air, 
pointing it directly out to the side, letting it down and moving that hip in that circular fashion. Doing a lot of bird dogs where I can come into complete flexion and extension with my leg in the air, not feeling anything except a slight bit of gravity helping push it down. There's no weight in it. But getting that moving, not only internal, external rotation, but getting that moving into flexion and extension with no weight, nice and slowly, four inch of motion, helped okay not only does it help get everything moving you get blood flow to the area because it's not vascular at all um you know it's not very vascular but you know it also helps like slowly strengthen the muscles then the, the secondary goal was to strengthen all the muscles around that area so that was taking pressure off of there so typically what you'll feel is you'll feel either you can call it a u or a c like a u or a c-shaped pain coming in that hip area right from that like inguinal uh, groin area coming up and around to the outside part of your hip. You're going to feel that C or U-shaped pain. And what I tried to do is really strengthen my medial glutes, doing all the normal stuff like banded clamshells and just isolating the medial glute, in, whether it was machine-based or weight-based or band-based, a lot of band exercises. I tried to strengthen my core. So you have to strengthen your core and you have to watch out when you're doing like hip flexor strengthening exercises because you can, you can aggravate it. But I strengthened my core, everything from global to local stabilizers. I've really focused on my core. Um, and then obviously, I, you know, I focused on my quad, right? You want to strengthen the areas below where the injury is as well to take some pressure off of that. So I, I, th th this, is, this is even more important. I probably should have led with this. What I also tried to do is avoid exercises that were going to exacerbate it. And really what that was was full range of motion, kind of hip flexion things. So a deep squat, a sumo squat, Nope, not going to happen. Not even non-weighted. I did not do that until maybe four or five months into my rehab process. Um, uh, a lunge, I don't remember doing lunges. I was doing step-ups, which were fine because um, I, I wasn't in a, a huge or a, you know, a really deep angled hip flexion position at that point. I would just do a small step up on, uh, you know, on a box that was 10, 10 inches high or something. And I, and I was able to, you know, help build my quads up, my legs up that way, do some leg extensions, really light things of that nature. But ultimately from a macro standpoint, if you're taking a step back, what, what I try to do is strengthen the muscles in and around that area, work through range of motion, non-weighted. Those were the things I did to help repair it. Again, I took me nine months I don't know the severity of my tear. This is not my expertise compared to somebody else's. I'm not telling you you should do this. And mine was in a non-weight-bearing area. But I do think for people who are dealing with this, with personal trainers, you have clients who have hip issues. Just in general, we have to think about strengthening the muscles in and around that hip, both posteriorly or anteriorly. We have to think about getting more hip mobility. That's a ball and socket. Too many of us just move in one or two planes of motion, right? We're either in sagittal or frontal, and we're not moving in that transverse plane. We're not moving the joints around like we should, not only through dynamic warm-ups, but through the, the entirety of the exercise routine you have. People who are only focused on muscle and vanity... They, they are the ones who have the joint issues down the road because they're not moving their joints with the how the body intended those joints to be moved. Now, moving on to more business stuff, I had somebody else reach out to me this week talking about how she was going to start a business. She was going in on it with, with two other friends. It was three of them. And this was the business plan. And this is what they were doing and what, what I think about it and so on and so forth. So I, I'm not going to go into all the specifics. But you know my, my one big recommendation was be very, very careful, and I can tell you that I would never do this again, to go into business with three or more people. And I'll explain why. Now, two people is fine, right? Having a business partner is fine. Not for everybody. You have to be introspective about yourself. 
but three equal decision makers is really tough because inevitably what's going to happen is you're going to want to go in three different directions. And it's really hard to come to some sort of middle ground agreement if you want to go in three different directions. Let's go ahead and say you're starting a yoga studio and you do agree on everything at first. But then six months in, you know, uh, trainer A says, you know what, I, I really think our demographic, we can see them walking through the door is a younger population. We have to start doing things that are a little bit more difficult. We have to we have to continue to just ride the wave here. We're getting a bunch of people below 25. I know that that's not initially what we set the studio up for, but that's what we're doing. And then trainer B says, well, that's not what we initially set the studio up for. I don't want to do that. Like we like our whole focus is teaching yoga to to older people who have uh, you know, more anatomical issues. And that's why we differentiate ourselves from everybody else. And I don't, I don't want to do that. And then trainer C says, well, you know, I, I don't want to do either of those two things. I think what we're really missing out is every yoga studio in town is now doing hot yoga and we don't have any hot yoga classes. So I really think we need to transition to doing more hot yoga stuff, right? So you, you have like three different decision makers that want to go three different ways. There's no way to appease everybody, especially when these things don't like overlap. So I, I really don't like three decision makers. What end, what also ends up happening is just human nature is one person tries to convince the other person. And there's always more someone who's a little bit better speaker or someone who's a little bit more alpha. And then it becomes a two-on-one game. Um, and it becomes a two-on-one game like back and forth. And then it's just, then then the, the ownership of the business is shady from a, from a philosophical standpoint, you're never agreeing. And then from a day-to-day -day standpoint, you know, the, the, the energy is off because you know that, that, you know, trainer A agreed with trainer C last time and you couldn't believe it. And now, you know, trainer B is trying to get trainer C to not disagree with trainer A and it just becomes a huge fight. So uh, what I would say is two people as decision makers, you could always give a little bit of ground. They get one next time you get, you get one this time you come to some sort of agreement. Someone's more of a specialist in one area. It's a lot easier to make decisions with two people than it is three people. There's a reason why uh, most, you know, there's, there's not three person marriages. So um, I, I, I would, I would highly advise of going against going into business rather in a, in a fitness business where you don't have all the specs drawn out, where you, where there is room and there, in almost any business, there is room for growth and change. And you have three decision makers at the helm. Now, moving on to the last thing here, I had a listener email right in. I don't know if it was genuine or not. They could have been sort of just pushing my buttons, but I do think it was a fair question. I'm not going to read it word for word verbatim, uh, but I'll tell you that the, you know, the gist of the email was that, you know, I've done three different podcasts now on social media, but, you know, I'm a hypocrite because I'm on social media all the time and I'm making videos and, you know, I run part of my business through social media. And yes, that's true. I, I've said that before on this podcast that I know, I know I, th those statements are somewhat hypocritical that, that number one, in a sense, I believe that social media is like tearing at the fabric of our society from from people under the age of thirty, especially, uh, and the kids growing up. And at the and this and the second, you know, the the second thing where it sounds like I'm talking out two sides of my mouth. In a sense, I am. Is that you know we need social media to run our businesses in in this day and age. It's just it's such a part. And if you've spent a lot of time on it then you feel like there's a sunk cost issue going on here, right? The sunk cost fallacy is like where, you know, you spend so much time into something and you say, well, I've already spent so much time on it, so I should continue to spend time. When actually, like in a lot in a lot of senses, no, you need to just cut 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 the cord and leave. And you know, you know, Barry Sanders was the was one of the greatest running backs of all time. He retired in his prime. Um, if Barry Sanders can retire in his prime, you can get off social media. I can get off social media and, and forget about this like, you know, sunk cost issue here. Uh, so I, I, I don't think 
that keeping social media because you put a lot of energy into it is the reason you should keep social media. I think if you can handle it psychologically, which I can, I don't have any psychological issues. It doesn't cause me personal stress. It doesn't take too much time out of my day. I know how to control it. I know how to put my phone down. Um, it's it's not a big deal. I still think that's not that's not the case for everybody. And again, I'm not advocating that you know the government comes and takes your phone away. I still am for personal autonomy and you making the decisions to do this on your own, provided you're you know you're above 18 and you're out of the household. And your parents don't have a say, and your parents aren't paying for your phone. But at the same time, I do see it wearing at the fabric of society, and I do think it's bad for the health industry and the fitness industry as a whole. And yeah, eventually I will get off of it. I think there will be a point when I see, even if it's a 51-49 split, that it's doing worse for my life. It's taking up too much energy. Uh, if, if at any point it, I seem to be one of those people who is, you know, looking at comments and commenting and being angry all day, and it's causing me a level of stress, I believe I'm introspective enough to get off. And that, who knows? That could be tomorrow. That could be a year from now. That could be never. But uh, don't be surprised if one day I'm just off, if I, if I call it quits, not as far as the truly fit account. Cause I don't even really run that. I have assistants who run that. And I just check in on it, but my own personal account. Yeah. I could be off social media one day if I believe that it is causing me more harm than good. But again, we have to be introspective about ourselves. What are the issues that we're dealing with from a psychological standpoint and a mental standpoint? Are you somebody who's looking at Instagram every day? And then 30 minutes later, when you're done, you're like, what am I doing with my life? Because you're the because you're watching videos of people who are either pretending to be or are actually the you know the less than one percent of people who are not stressed and making a ton of money, uh, drop shipping and renting out their uh, private jets. And this person has a an eight pack and they just sit around all day and swim in the pool and don't do anything. And uh, this girl's uh just flies around to Bali and goes on private yachts that only James Bond villains can afford and rides around in them. It's like well we know that Instagram is mostly fake. And that these people are all dealing with problems. But if you're looking at these people and it's causing you problems because you think I'm not them, well, then you're somebody who should get off. But I don't. I look at these people and laugh and say, this is ridiculous. You don't really live this life. And this isn't happiness. This is not where happiness comes from. So anyhow, uh, I, that's the last thing I need to say here. I think there's a podcast coming out Monday. I forget. I am starting to do the Monday podcast almost every other week and continue to do the Thursday podcast every week just because I'm busy for the next month or so in my life doing family stuff and other business stuff. But thank you guys so much for listening to Truly Fit Podcast. Reach out to me at social at trulyfit.app if you want me to talk about anything, if you want to come on the podcast, if you know uh, somebody who might be interested in coming on the podcast, feel free to send them that email address. They can pitch me and I'll see you guys on the next one. Thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform, and feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you. Social at trulyfit.app. Thanks again.